Kelly draws the slide. Man's wide open. Time. Room. Bullseye. What is up, bros? Anybody care to lax? Welcome to episode eight of the Crease Die presented by Barstool Sports, your one-stop shop for that stick talk for lax rats by lax rats. I am Jordy from Barstool, and with me, as always, the king of the fade. We got Robbio in the building. Rob, how we doing today? What is going on, Jordy? What is going on, boys? Had a great weekend last weekend of college across. Possibly an even better weekend coming up, this one. Got a couple big interviews in this episode of The Crease Dive, episode eight. Just chilling, Jordy. What's going on with you? Yeah, I mean, we've got a loaded episode for you guys here today. We got a couple interviews coming up. We've got Greg Gorenlian, the beast, coming on here to talk about some face-offs. We got recruiting God, Ty Zanders, also popping on the podcast real quick for to talk about the high school season starting up, all the kids to look forward to coming into college across over the next couple years. So we've got a loaded, loaded podcast for you today, and it starts off with you mentioned it before, I mean, I think that that was probably the best weekend of college across that we're going to have until Memorial Day weekend. I mean, the matchup of games uh, that that we got to watch last Saturday was unbelievable. unbelievable, unbelievable, and it's highlighted, of course, by number one Albany going down to number two Maryland and taking down the Terps. Getting that revenge from the quarterfinals last year, getting that revenge from the regular season last year, revenge for the regular season two years ago. (laughs) I looked this up in the last two or three seasons. There have only been three teams that have beaten the Albany Great Danes. Maryland's beat them three times. Syracuse has beat them three times. And then I think Hartford got them once maybe in the America East tournament or something like that. But only three teams over the last two or three seasons have taken down Albany. Maryland was one of them. So Albany getting that win over the Terps is huge for them. Yeah, I mean, it started with the Thompson brothers, you know, kind of being the face of the Dane train. But I mean, it's all credit to Coach Marr. I mean, what a program that Albany has become. They have become one of the top powerhouses in all of Division I lacrosse. But I mean, like we said last week going into this game, it doesn't matter what sport you're watching. It, if it's number two in the country versus number one in the country, you're going to be in for a show. And the last time that these two teams met each other, Maryland smacked them down a little bit. They, they smacked them around. But this, this was not the case last weekend. An 11-10 game, a one-goal game, one in the country versus two in the country. It's like you read about. That game got me jacked up. Yeah, and I mean, it, it all comes down. That game came down to Connor Fields outplaying Connor Kelly. I mean, it's these are probably the two best players in the country right now, probably the two best players in lacrosse right now. Uh, so it was the battle of the two Connors, battle of Tewarton candidates. Connor Fields just taking over in that game. And, you know, it, it's one of those games where you're watching the Albany offense and, and you're seeing DeHogan Anacoke. He's not really getting – he's not really that effective last weekend against Maryland. He was kind of getting shut out a little bit. So with Fields taking over and also some some other guys, you got Kyle McClancy taking over for the Great Danes. You've got another freshman in Jacob Patterson really picking up the slack. So, I mean, Maryland, obviously, they're, 
they, they didn't really lose much of a beat with that senior class graduating from last year. Uh, but Albany, they've, they've just been able to keep loading up on offense and they finally get over that edge with that 11 to 10 win. Uh, another close game between, you know, two top 10 teams in the nation. We had Denver versus Notre Dame. Uh, you know, two teams that have seen each other in the tournament plenty of times before, two teams that have played each other in the, you know, the final four times before. Uh, so these are two programs out in the West. Uh, you know, they're both the face of, you know, this expansion of lacrosse out West. So we got Denver, Notre Dame, and it's the Irish taking down Denver 11 to nine. Robbie O, any thoughts on this game? Dude, Notre Dame is fucking good. I mean, we went into this season kind of being a little skeptical about them, especially in the ACC, losing a couple guys. But no, dude, they are the real deal. And obviously, Denver's 0-2 this season against ACC teams, despite their 4-2 record. I mean, they, they dropped against Duke earlier in the year. But uh, dude, Notre Dame is is the real deal. That was kind of my big takeaway from there. Even though that Trevor Baptiste won the faceoff X, the score did not show. So if you're able to get possessions against this Denver team, it might not be like last year. I mean, Notre Dame is a very good team, and, and they really proved it uh, Saturday, 11-9. Yeah, and I mean, the, the one big takeaway for me is that Notre Dame defense uh, is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, you know, Denver has plenty of offensive weapons that they're able to work with, and they weren't really able to get too much done, uh, especially late in that game against Notre Dame's defense. And, you know, you mentioned Trevor Baptiste at the faceoff X before. Uh, this game featured probably the longest faceoff that you'll see all season, possibly the longest faceoff that you'll see in, you know, over the next 10 years in college lacrosse. It's Trevor Baptiste and and the kid Travisano from Notre Dame, and they were just grinding away at each other. It went for over 45 seconds. It was close to a minute-long face-off. Uh, so we'll have, like we mentioned, Greg Garenlian coming on the podcast a little bit later to talk about that face-off. And, you know, I, th there was a lot of heated discussion uh, in the lacrosse community about that. You know, there's there's one group of people that think that, you know, a face-off that takes a minute is bad for the game. There's a lot of people, myself included, who think that seeing guys battle just a real one-on-one -on -one battle at the face-off X for over a minute, uh, I think that that's just, you know, something that's great. It gets the boys jacked up. But we'll talk to Greg about that a little later. But Notre Dame gets away with a win on that one. Uh, so with Notre Dame getting a win out of the ACC, we got a team getting another loss in the ACC. And listen, we don't want to pat ourselves on the back too much here, even though we love to pat ourselves on the back. But we've been on the UNC is not actually good train from the very get-go. We've been saying it week after week that UNC is a fraud team. Uh, you know, they started off undece undefeated, uh, you know, a few really close wins that just weren't great wins. And now they're they're going back to back to back losses. They've got three losses in a row because we're recording here on Wednesday night. They lose to Richmond. And on Saturday, they go down to Hofstra for the third straight year. The Hofstra Pride have the Tar Heels number. And it's it's not even a it's not a rivalry at this point. No, it's not. It's not a rivalry at all. I mean, I mean, you had it as your uh, upset of the weekend. You called it right away. I mean, we saw it last year, and history repeated itself, and they knocked off the Tar Heels. And like like you just said a couple seconds ago, the Crease Dive Boys were on the Tar Heels, our ass train since episode two when they were beating up on cupcake teams. And hey, not only did they 
lose to Hofstra to finally show their true colors, not be undefeated anymore. They just lost to Richmond, uh, 11 to 10. So uh, that is a UNC team with two losses under their belt. Going, moving on to two teams that are that have both been in the top 20, shaking up a little bit. Lehigh Mountain Hawks versus Army. Lehigh goes up, or Lehigh wins that game 9-7. What were your takeaways from that? Dude, Lehigh is a team that, you know, first off, I, I, I've i got a few boys on that team, a few guys from my hometown. So shout out to the Spence brothers. Shout out to Ian Strain, uh, a couple Delco guys on that squad. So all, always going to be a fan of the Mountain Hawks. But the fact that they're, you know, they've been putting together a lot of really, really good games so far this year. I mean, they had a tight one, a tight one against UNC. They end up losing that one in, in overtime. Uh, but they go out there and they beat Army nine to seven. Uh, you know, Army's kind of Army and Loyola kind of cream of the crop in the Patriot League. Uh, so the fact that you know Lehigh was able to to go out there get a win against the troops. First off, I mean, little fucked up. <laughs> little fucked up. Little fucked up. Because he hates the troops. Yeah, ISIS also tries to beat Army all the time. So is Lehigh ISIS? We'll have to find out later. But getting that win, uh, you know, so they, they've taken down Army. They've taken down Colgate. They've taken down Holy Cross. So they're undefeated in the Patriots so far this year. I think that Lehigh is going to be a team that is not only going to make some noise in the Patriot this year, uh, but they're going to be making some noise in that conference for, for a while, especially with the freshman in cage, James Spence. I was able to coach him for the last few years at Springfield. The kid is an absolute stud. I mean, a ton of great goalies have come out of that program. I mean, you look at Drew Adams from Springfield, Austin Cout from Springfield, James Spence from Springfield. He might be the best out of all of them when, when it's all said and done. So, I mean, that team is set up for the future. So the fact that he was able to hold Army to seven – not surprised at that at all. No, I mean, dude, this is a Lehigh team, and Lehigh historically has not always been a powerhouse, but since Cassis came in there, dude, he's really, really shaped this program around. He's always got the offense playing that freelance ball. Got a couple Canadians on the squad. Uh, you got Tristan, Tristan Ray on the team, uh, just being a little crease rat in there. Dude, this is a Lehigh team that could stir the pot up um, come Memorial day weekend and come Patriot league playoffs. I, I could see them kind of squeaking their way into the tournament right now. They're sitting at 16 in the country. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're definitely a team. Like I said, I mean, they, as, as long as you have a great goalie in the, like you can, you can ride that for as long as you possibly want to. Um, and, and I think that they definitely have that with Spence in the cage. So, uh, I mean, a, a tough couple of weeks for Army after going down to Syracuse. Hey, hey, hey. And, and, his, and his brother's got 20 points on the year, too, second on the team. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I, I, I play with Lucas in the summer, and he uh, he doesn't really score for us for us much in the summer. So we, need to, we need him to save some of those points for summer ball. So, Lucas, if you're listening, bud, uh, quit scoring against Army and score in beer league for us. So then, and then staying in the Patriot league, uh, you know, your, uh, your former squad there, the, the Lafayette, <laughs> the Leopard, they, uh, they end up losing a, a, not exactly a great one to the Cleveland state Vikings. So the Vikings picking up their second win of the year. Listen, I, I, I feel bad for the Leopards. They they've had a tough go at it so far this year. Uh, but I'm always a fan of when Cleveland State is able to pick up wins. I, I've got plenty of love for those guys. They're out there <laughs> every week just giving it their all. So love seeing those guys get into the win column. And that was a 12-6 win. So that was huge for Cleveland, huge for Ohio. 
I mean, yeah, you're huge for Ohio, and you knew that Cleveland State was going to be the real deal despite being a second-year program once Gucci Mane was in that locker room, fur jacket on and everything with the stick behind his back. Um, but no, I, this is awesome for the sport. We talked about it earlier with Denver kind of growing it out there in the West Coast. You know, we, we got Cleveland State. I mean, us on the crease dive, lacrosse is the sport of the future. I don't care what you say, lacrosse is the sport of the future. And they're growing the game out there in Northern Ohio. Yeah, and uh, so speaking of Ohio, uh, real quick update for all you boys and girls at home. Uh, the crease dive, we will be at the Ohio Machine Open Tryouts here in Philly this weekend on Sunday. Uh, so we'll have a nice little video from that coming out over, at some point over the next couple of weeks. And who knows? I mean, I I might I'm, I'm I might I've been training for this. You know, I've been stretching. I've been uh, you know yeah, I've I've been same. I've been walking up the steps instead of taking elevators and shit like that. So I'm feeling in pretty good shape for this tryout coming here. So who knows? You might see the freestyle boys. Playing for the machine this summer. <laughs> you you might see the crease dive boys playing for the machine, dude. I, I'm I'm in the city right now. I'm walking down Fifth Avenue, looking like the biggest douchebag, <laughs> but just cradling, split dodging the air left to right. Dude, the, the boys are ready for the machine, so let's bring it on. Get the boys in the MLL. Yeah, I uh, I definitely don't switch to my right at all. I am <laughs> a lefty for life, and a right hand can suck a dick, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it goes. It should be a lot of fun. We'll, uh, you know, I think we have a few, uh, guests from the machine lined up for the podcast at some point in the, in the next few weeks. So a lot of exciting stuff coming up here with the crease dive and the Ohio machine throughout the season. Uh, and that is going to now bring us to our man up, man down segment of the week where every week we bring you either a player or a team or really just anything in lacrosse that we're either buying stock on or we're selling, selling, selling. Uh, this week for my man up, uh, quick shout out to high school lacrosse. A lot, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of leagues, a lot of teams getting their season started either this weekend or next weekend. So, uh, I mean, high, high school lax is is definitely huge. Um, it continues to grow every year. I mean, you see, you know, you look at lax power, you look at the rankings and, you know, since we were in high school, you know, you, you had your, you know, your Philly, your Maryland, your Baltimore, or your, your you know, your Long Island, your New York, um, you know, and a few, you know, teams down in Florida, a few teams in California here and there, you look at lax power now, I mean, it's all over the country. So high school lax starting up this week. It's a great time of the year. We'll also have Ty Sanders on a little bit later in the podcast to talk about that. Yeah. I mean, dude, I remember once March hits, that's when high school lacrosse hits, you get real jacked up, you start playing a team, another color, dude, high school lacrosse is the fucking best. I, I think I'm still living in the glory days through that. Yeah, I, uh, I I wish I could go back to it every single day, but instead I'm just over here, you know, like you said, just cradling away at my fucking desk all day. So uh, if if you're in high school right now, if you're in high school right now and you're listening to the podcast, listen, cherish these days. I, I know that you know you probably hate the beginning of the season because that's when conditioning really sucks dick. But cherish these days because uh, you're, you're going to want to go back to them real soon. Who you got for your man up this week, there, Robbie? 
Yeah, for my man up of the week, uh, humble brag, I was a high school All-American. Uh, my man up of the week, this is going to be a little bit awkward because I had your boy Spencer Nett, I had Coach Cassis, and I had the Lehigh Mountain Hawks. But as we are recording this, it is Wednesday, 9.14 p.m. Lehigh just lost to Rutgers 8-7. to So this is pretty awkward. I'm going to change it to the Scarlet Knights all in on the Scarlet Knights right now. I know you've been short on them, but you know what? <laughs> Chop wood, baby. Let's, let's go Scarlet Knights. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, hey, listen, that that's another tight game against a top 20 team for Lehigh. So, you know, they're definitely putting it together. Rutgers, they lose in overtime to Michael Sowers and the Princeton Tigers over the weekend. So, uh, you know, I might make the executive decision here for you and keep Lehigh as your man up, uh, Scarlet Knights. <laughs> Dude, Jordy, Jordy, the, the, the fade Robbie O curse is real. I mean, literally five minutes ago, I'm hyping up Lehigh and how they're going to shake up, shake up the Patriot League and we might see them in the NCAA tournament. And <laughs> within five minutes, uh, we find them losing to Rutgers. So, fade, uh, fade so. <laughs> Robbie O. I might have to put Robbie O's picks as my man down of the week. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to cut you some slack on that one. And my man down for this week, it's going to be everybody in college lacrosse last weekend who did not score a backhanded goal because it was the best weekend for highlights. I mean, think about all the backhanded goals that we saw over this past week in college across. First off, we had a pole goal, a backhanded pole goal. It was a crease dive as well from UMass's Shane Rinkus uh, and their win over NJIT. You had, you know, you had the kid Jacob Patterson in Albany stick one off stick hip against Maryland on the backhand. That was filthy. Uh, Hofstra, while they were taking down UNC, you had Brendan Cavanaugh scoring backhand. So all those highlights, they're on our socials at the Crease Dive on Twitter and Instagram. You can check those out. But there were backhanded goals all over the place last week. So if you weren't scoring on the backhand last week, it was like you might as well not even been playing. Dude, I I absolutely love that man down. I mean, I don't know if it's the the sticks, the new technology. I feel like every single weekend now we at least treat ourselves to four or five backhanded goals or around the head, around the world goals. It's absolutely insane. And for my man down, Jordy, I know we touched on it earlier in the episode, but it is going to be someone that we were very, very bearish on. In the second week of the crease dive, it's going to be the UNC Tar Heels and just Coach Bresci in general. Um, you know, they were squeaking out wins against, you know, my Lafayette Leopards, uh, against Furmans, against the St. John's, uh, you know, Mercer. You know, they were getting these cupcake kind of wins. No disrespect to those teams. Then they lose three in a row. Uh, Denver, Hofstra, Richmond, you know, th- this just isn't their year. Um, I'm very, very down on them. I hope they can prove me wrong because you always say this about Hopkins, but when UNC is a good team, lacrosse is just a better sport in general. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely tough for them losing those three right back to back. And I mean, you think about this real quick. I mean, you lose to Denver, so that's a Big East loss. You lose to Hofstra, that's a CAA loss. You lose to Richmond, that's SoCon. So they still have their whole ACC schedule ahead of them. And, you know, I, I know anytime any ACC team goes up against each other, 
you never know who's going to come out on top. But the fact that they still have to go up, I mean, they still have Maryland. They still have to go up against Duke. They still have Virginia, Syracuse, Notre Dame. So it definitely doesn't get any easier for the Tar Heels. So having, you know, having to go into ACC play off of those three straight losses, definitely going to be tough. I mean, I don't mean to pour salt into the wounds of the UNC Tar Heels, but I mean, we, we told you so, you know, we told you so everyone in the media polls who continued to have them in their top 20, I was like, that's, eh, you know, probably not going to be the case for much longer. So UNC, I mean, hopefully you guys figure it out. I, I I agree with you there that when UNC is balling out, the sport is better for it. Uh, it just doesn't seem to be that way for them this season. Uh, and with that, so that'll wrap up our man up, man down of the week. It is now time to kick it over to our interview with the beast, Greg Gorenlian, to talk a little FOGO. All right, and now we are lucky enough to bring on probably the godfather of the face-off almost at this point. It is Greg Beast, Greg Gorenlian coming in, uh, probably one of the best to ever do it at the Face-Off X, and he is here to talk to us today about that ridiculous Trevor Baptiste versus John Travisano face-off that we saw last weekend. Uh, Greg, what's going on, man? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Pretty pumped about this. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's great to have you on. Um, you know, you're a for for those of you who don't know, uh, Greg's a you know hometown guy, a Philly guy like myself from Springfield, Delco. Uh, little fun fact to start off this interview: I think that I'm probably the only person in the world uh, who can say that I've been teammates with the three Gorenlian uh, boys slash men. So I uh, you know I I played with your two younger brothers in high school, and then we were uh, teammates for one scrimmage last season when I quote unquote tried out for the Lizard. Uh, a little scrimmage against the Charlotte Hounds there. So for at least one scrimmage, we were teammates. So, uh, you know, I've, uh, I'm kind of yeah. considering myself an honorary Gorenlian here, an honorary member of the Beast family. Yeah, you're part of the family at this point. You, you've paid your dues. You've dealt with all of us. <laughs> uh, yeah, but so for anyone out there who's listening who doesn't know, and I, I feel like most people will know, uh, Greg is – he's a, He's got the face-offs down to a scientist. He's, again, one of the best to ever do it. Uh, he's got training sessions all over the country with the Face-Off Academy. Uh, you know, I don't think that there's a single face-off guy in America right now who probably hasn't worked with Greg, at least not if he's uh, you know, going to be one of the top ones that we'll see in college across. So you know, as someone who is so dedicated to the craft of the face-off, Obviously, uh, Greg is going to have you know plenty of opinions on that uh, face-off between Denver's Tre- Trevor Baptiste and Notre Dame's John Travisano that we saw last weekend. If you didn't see that 45-second long face-off between two guys just battling it out, uh, it was unbelievable to watch for, for me, uh, but it kind of split the lacrosse community in two between people who really appreciated the battle of that draw and then there were also plenty of people out there who, you know, they think that, you know, face-off like that are, are they're ruining the game or it's slowing down the game. It's stopping the flow of the game. There's no creativity, yada, yada, yada. Um, so real quick, uh, you know, Greg, he put out a great video on his Instagram, just breaking down everything about that face-off, even when as in, in depth as to talking about, you know, the sticks that both uh, face-off specialists were using. Um, so first off, Greg, can you give us a quick little breakdown of that draw? Uh, and then we'll get more into the reaction from the lacrosse community after that. 
Yeah, sure. Um, so on my Instagram and my Twitter, GregBeast32, um, I broke it down. It's kind of slow motion what both players were thinking. When you place the ball on a face-off as the official, the heads of the sticks are supposed to be slightly off-center, and the term that is used is called top-to-stop. The top of the head is supposed to line up to the ball stop of the opponent. And what that does now is it puts the ball higher up in the stick for both players. So on the whistle, the ball won't get lodged in their throat right away. Um, back in the day, I used to have 60-second face-offs in the MLL because it was like prison rules. The ball would start right up in our throat. So right off the bat, the ball placement was a couple inches off. Then on the whistle, both guys you know, clamped the ball. Um, one guy was using the Under Armour Command X, which is a very, very strong head. Um, and the top sidewall of it is kind of like a plow, and it dives down on the uh, opponent's stick. Uh, Trevor uses what's called a Nike CEO. Uh, 90% of that head bends straight back, and what happens is the ball ends up going directly into the throat of the head. That's why players like it. So you had the Notre Dame player made a great move on the whistle, got the ball towards his throat, but then he sat on his knees and started pushing the ball sideways out of panic. Um, Trevor was under rotated. So his head bent completely backwards and the ball was halfway in his throat. So you had two guys who had half the ball. They're fighting, um, you know, obviously to gain a quarter of an inch so they can get the ball and pull it out. People have to realize that during this game, there was about, you know, uh, Denver was on a roll. They were trying to come back. It was a really heated game, obviously a huge rivalry. Um, neither one of these players wanted to lose that face off. So they took their time. They're trying to methodically, you know, wedge their head into the ball a little bit more. They're trying not to move in a way that might give up ground at all because then they'll lose the faceoff. Um, for Trevor, he knows all eyes are on him. He has to win every faceoff or Twitter explodes. Um, and Tra- Travisano, obviously, he was getting beat up a little bit, so he was trying to hold his own um, and try to grind it down. Um, and then the wing play comes into, into play. Uh, Trevor is with, uh, you know, very smart. He understands what he's doing. He's trying to maneuver by tapping his foot, telling his – wing guys where to go in case the ball pops out. Um, and then eventually it became a war of attrition where Trevor started to gain the upper hand by putting his helmet over the ball to push the ball down into the ground rather than into Travisano's stick. Travisano started to break a little bit and um, then he got tired and just tried to rip it out. And as soon as he tried to get to his feet and do that, that's when Trevor got over top of the ball and then exited. And everyone's sitting there screaming, why aren't they pulling the ball out? That's exactly why. Travisano got tired and went to the pullout and usually the first guy in a long faceoff who ends up trying to pull the ball out is usually the guy who's tired, and he's the one who loses the faceoff. And that's why when you get stuck in that position, it's really tough to pull the ball out until you know you got the whole thing. And that's why the ball should have been placed higher to start with by the official, and it would have avoided the whole thing. So everyone who's listening, I mean, right there, that was just multiple minutes right there of breaking down one faceoff. And here's, you know... Here's what I had the biggest issue with in terms of reaction that that face-off got in the lacrosse community is, you know, I, I saw so many people take to Twitter, social media, um, and basically say that, you know, these were just two guys who were basically just leaning up against one another for 45 seconds, slowing down the game. Um, you know, and, and as you hear from Greg talking there, like, obviously there's so much, you know, strategy that goes into that face-off with both guys. I mean, uh, not only just the two face-off guys that are that are there taking the draw, but also communicating with their wings. Um, you know, I saw one person come out and say that you know a, a, the game's supposed to be free-flowing and creative. Well, you know, you listen to that explanation right there of of that draw. Like, obviously, these guys have to get you. You're 
battling one-on-one with one guy for 45 seconds. No, no guy wants to give up. You're going to have to get creative in a way to pull out that ball. Um, so, you know, again, like talking about that reaction, uh, obviously – you, you're, you're going to be a little bit biased as a face-off specialist yourself, but I think that we're on the same page here where, you know, there are plenty of ways that the game can change to speed it up a little bit. I don't think that changing face-offs is, is going to make a biggest, the biggest difference, especially not when a face-off like this only comes around every once in a while. So, you know, talk to me about, you know, what your reaction was to the reaction on social media. Sure. Um, I mean, we could talk about a, a, from a different angle, a bunch of different angles. First off, it's supposed to be a free-flowing game, a lot of transition, right? What happened when the ball came out? It got knocked all the way down to the box. It was a loose ball. There was a battle for, from five to six guys, ground ball. Notre Dame picked it up and went transition the other way. So I don't want to hear this, oh, it, it ruins a transition when there's a long face-off. Um, my issue with face-offs, and I try not to take it personally because just a lot of people are just stupid, right? And the problem with Twitter and the problem with social media is that we have learned over the years how stupid a lot of people are. Um, you know, I believe there should be freedom of speech. I just feel like you should have to take some kind of quiz first before you're allowed to have it. <laughs> um, but this is like an election. Every time there's a face-off thing, it, you know, with elections every four years, all of a sudden everyone becomes a professional political pundit, Right. So, and those of us who actually follow politics year round, every single day, um, end up seeing all the stupid, uninformed opinions in four years. Same thing happens with these face-offs. Now you have the issues of people taking to Twitter saying this is ruining the game. Um, but people are allowed to still, even though there's a quote unquote, some kind of shot clock, that's completely subjective. I can hold the ball down on the end of the, you know, down on offense for minutes at a time. But a 45-second face-off all of a sudden ruins lacrosse. Um, so, you know, I mean, basketball, how long did it take for them to get into the three-point line? How long did it take them to get a shot clock? People were furious when they put both of those. At one point, you weren't allowed to dunk uh, in basketball. Can we imagine with any of that stuff now, would anyone watch that game? Um, and the other part of it is lacrosse face-offs have come a long way. Um, you know, we talk about the FOA. When the FOA first came out in 2012, you used to – uh, go down, and as soon as both players' gloves hit the ground, the ref would blow the whistle, and the ball would already be on the ground, and you would line up with your throat. And guys had their hands on the plastic. Guys were grabbing the ball with their hands. And this is why I take a little bit of pause, and I don't. I try to like calm down about how ignorant people are about faceoffs, because I know that all of the people who taught cheating for years set us back and almost got rid of the position. A few years ago, they were actually seriously talking about getting rid of the position. Um, because no one understood it. It just looked like a bunch of guys cheating and bashing heads. Um, the NCAA rules committee did a good job. Now the ball goes down second. Guys are completely off the line. Guys cannot touch the plastic at all. It's a much more quicker, skilled position than it used to be. Um, but it did get us set back. Uh, and in the NFL, if quarterbacks all used, let's just say randomly, objectively, deflated footballs, okay? <laughs> say every quarterback tried to use a deflated football every single game. And people got sick of it. And they're like, all quarterbacks are cheaters. Quarterbacks would probably not be thought of as they are now. But now, quarterbacks are everything in football. And they're put up on a pedestal. And they're like, you know, franchise quarterback. You have to have one. But for some reason, face-off guys in, in lacrosse, because we're not the goal scorers and the pretty boys, um, we're looked down upon. If you're a lacrosse player and you're a face-off guy and you win 70%, instead of you being like, exalted, you're hated on because you're ruining the game. And I think that one position can't have that big of an effect on a game 
when a Towson goalie makes 16 saves and wins an overtime and an upset, um, that's great. But if a faceoff guy goes 70% in a game, he's ruining the game. So I think it's just an ignorance factor that just gets to me all the time because every single day of my life, I have to kind of defend why my career and what I've dedicated my life to exists. That's really tough to deal with every single day. Um, so once in a while, I have these Twitter rants where I'm like, everyone just shut up. Um, but the other part of it is we don't have any broadcasters that have ever faced off. That's a big issue, right? We got Quinn out there pretending like he knows anything about faceoffs, talking about getting a Diet Coke. Uh, while two scholarship athletes are killing themselves to try and win a face off of their team. Um, and that stuff's just got to stop. Yeah. And like, again, like going off of that, that quarterback uh, analogy right there. I mean, like the, the face off position is, is so important to a team. And I feel like the only time, and I feel like you and I will probably agree on this. Uh, really the only time that we hear, you know, people being very highly outspoken against the position it's usually coaches of teams who can't win faceoffs. I mean, when you have a guy like Trevor Baptiste who's going, you know, sometimes he's going 100%, kind of averaging out at least at 75% there, uh, you're perfectly happy with the way that, you know, the, the faceoff position is going. You're perfectly happy with keeping it in the game. Uh, the moment that you're, you know, your team's out there and you haven't recruited, uh, you know, one of these top level faceoff guys, you're you're probably going to be the coach who's out there bitching saying oh we got to you know change this up we got to get it out of the game it's slowing everything down yada 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 so it's it's really you know so ignorance definitely i agree with you there plays a factor in it and i think it's also just you know it's it's you know those who don't have it want it out of the game but you know once you're there like i don't hear tierney talking trash about the the face-off no. position and don't hear desco complaining either right desco complained and then ben williams showed up and then Coach Desco loved faceoffs for like three years. Um, the other part about it is this: people have to sit back and just wonder if, like, like from a common sense perspective, when you say something and and thinking it makes any sense, as if these two guys wanted to wrestle for forty five seconds in a stalemate, right? Like people, my my process is: if you're going to hate on faceoffs, you have to go play in a summer league game and you have to go take faceoffs for a whole game. And you have to take every face off for your team. Then when you're done, I want, I want you to come back and tell me that you still believe half the stuff they used to say about it. Right? So when I get jammed up in a face off, like the old rules, especially, and you're in there, me and Jeff Snyder, who's the face off guy for Canada, used to have 60 second face offs in the MLL all the time. And neither one of us wanted to do that because it sucks. Right? You're stuck in there. And, even, and you know, when you're in there that long, Whoever pulls the ball out is getting chopped to pieces because the wing guys are all around you. Um, to think that I would rather do that to slow the game up rather than pop it forward and go down and stick a goal is ludicrous. Who would say that out loud and actually believe it? And that's my that's where like the craziness factor comes in. Um, so it's just a little simple, but you're right. It, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I think three-pointers are stupid. If I have a three-point ace on my team, I'm actually all good with it. Right? So you know, it's it's just one of those things where I don't understand um, the process of it. You know, right now in lacrosse, we have this war of shot clock, right? People don't think that we should have a shot clock. Yeah, they're the guys who don't have a fast-moving team. But usually the teams that aren't as talented or as skilled want no shot clock because they want to hold the ball as long as they can to, so they can hang with better teams. The really good teams want a shot clock. They want to bang the ball around, get it down there. They want a faster-moving paced game um, so they can light up the scoreboard. 
We're going to have a shot clock eventually. We're going to have a two-point line. If you've ever played in an MLL game with MLL rules, you would never want to go back and play college rules. Nobody does. It's way more entertaining. It's way more fun. So people just have to like suck it up and realize that this is lacrosse and these are the positions. And rather than complaining, I know this goes against like how we are in America right now, but instead of whining and complaining, just go learn more about it. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I think that it's, you know, it's super easy, you know, kind of, as you mentioned there, it's, it's super easy for these people who are, you know, watching the game on their couch. It's, it's real easy for you to complain uh, about, you know, a, a face-off that takes, you know, 45, 60 seconds slowing down the game. Uh, but I'm, I'm willing to bet that if you ask anybody who is on the sideline for either Denver or Notre Dame, uh, you know, you're watching those two guys, they're battling it out one-on-one. Like I can guarantee you that the entire sideline, those guys are getting juiced up for that face off. They're seeing their boy go to work out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, fires up the team, uh, you know, face off guy, you know, you mentioned before, you know, you kind of get a, a little bit ragged on as with the, you know, you face off guys, you kind of stick together. Uh, you do your own things at practices. You do your own things at warm ups. You're kind of like goalies in the sense that, you know, no one really wants to talk to you too much because you either don't want to get in this you don't want to take them out of the zone or you just have no idea what the hell they're thinking um so but you know when you guys are you know when you're out there and you're battling on the field uh you know i I think the rest of the team really you know kind of rallies around that so i you can tell that it changed the complexion of the rest of that game it was already going to be a heated game no matter what uh but you know when you see two guys just going after it for 45 seconds it kind of gets the rest of the squad to kind of pick up their shit as well yeah, I've been in that situation, and I'll tell you right now, the longer you're in there, the louder the crowd gets. Um, it's just a phenomenon. Like, you're, you're stuck in there, and, like, you can just hear the crowd getting louder and louder. I've never been stuck in a face-off and heard anybody go, boo. You know what I mean? The, the crowd it gets into it because now the, the tension is building and building. And when the ball comes out, whatever team picks it up, their sideline goes nuts. The fans go nuts. The parents go nuts. Um but you wouldn't know that if you didn't actually watch the game. If you just went on Twitter and just hopped on an argument, uh, you wouldn't know that. So, you know, I, I've been in that position and it's phenomenal experience. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're definitely on the same page on that one. I think, you know, anyone who, who isn't able to appreciate that battle, um, you know, I, I think that they kind of need to there's there's probably a lot about lacrosse that they're not able to appreciate if you can't love that. Um, so, you know, that's. That's about all we we have on that face-off right there. I mean, we don't want to see that necessarily every single time. I don't think the face-off guys want to see that every single time as well because then they're going to have to start doing a little bit more conditioning. Um, But, you know, every once in a while, seeing a battle like that, I think that it's great for the game. I think it's great for the position. I think that was just great exposure for face-off guys in general, just showing, you know, what kind of battles that they go through. And, you know, when you have two of the elite guys in the country go after it, um, you know, obviously, you know, you, you said it, it comes down to a quarter of an inch one way or another when, you know, you got two elite guys like that. So, uh, you know, the, definitely a great fight. Uh, definitely great having you on here to break that down for everybody just to make sure that, you know, listen, if, if you come away, if you didn't like that face off to begin with. Uh, that's fine. But if you listen, if you didn't like it and then you listen to this interview with, with Greg and you still have a problem with it, uh, then, you know, maybe, maybe you got to find, you know, a different sport or somewhere. We want to grow the game. You can uh, kind of sit it out. Uh, but Greg, thanks a lot for hopping on. Really appreciate it. Uh, we're definitely going to have you on later in the season, especially uh, you're gearing up for the world games coming up this summer. 
Um, so again, everyone make sure to check out Greg on, uh, on Instagram. He is at Greg beast 32. Are you the same handle on Twitter? Yep. Same handle on everything. All right, Greg Beast 32 on Twitter. Make sure to check out the Face Off Academy, especially, you know, if you're a younger guy looking to, you know, if you're looking to be the next Trevor Baptiste or the next Greg Grandley, and make sure you check out the Face Off Academy. They got great coaches, uh, great training sessions, great everything. You're going to learn from the best there. Uh, so, Greg, thanks a lot again for hopping on, and uh, we'll talk to you later, man. Thanks a lot, my man. <laughs> And now for something completely different. All right. And now we are fortunate enough to be joined by the recruiting god, the founder, editor of Recruiting Rundown. We've got Ty Zanders on the line. Ty, how are we doing today, bud? Not too bad, man. Uh, Doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, dude, it's, it's great to have you here, especially, you know, we're... We're finally, we're at the, you know, the middle of March. So we've got high school lacrosse season starting up all over the nation. Uh, you know, and you know better than pretty much anybody else in the country what's going on in the world of high school lacrosse. Uh, you know, you've got guy, you've got recruiting rundowns on pretty much every single player in every single state, all the guys that you need to watch for. So, you know, for the idiots like myself and Rabio at home who aren't quite as plugged in for some of the idiots who are listening out there, you know, give us three names of players to watch for this high school lacrosse season. I know last year, Dehoga was a huge name on everyone's radar. So who's going to be, you know, this next crop of college lacrosse studs that'll be coming in over the next year or so? Yeah, I mean, really, it's it's a ridiculous class. This this eighteen group, um, you know, I think the the big name for for everybody is uh, Joey Epstein uh, from Landon, going to Hopkins, attackman. Uh, he, he's a kid that I feel like we've been talking about forever because he committed. I think it was August, heading into to ninth grade. You know, super early at the time. Um, you know, and, and already broke Matt Ward's record for for points in a career, and just. Filthy attack. I mean, I think that he's going to be kind of the kid that will go in when Shaq Stamick graduates and uh, just will dominate. Uh, kid's an animal. Um, you know, he, he's a big one. And then my number two guy is Will Bowen. Probably the best defenseman I've ever evaluated. He's a, a Boston College high kid. Massachusetts uh, going to Carolina. You know, those are the two big names. And, uh, you know, from there, I think there are a lot of good ones. Those are the two big ones. But the 18 class is is loaded. I'm just starting the, the Under Armour. All American game meetings on that committee and uh, a lot of tough decisions to, to make. But but those two and then a kid, you know, weighing some football options, Ricky Miazon. Uh, I think he's between Carolina for two sports and Stanford football. So a lot of athletes, a lot of two sport guys, three sport guys. Yeah, I mean, and you, you've been doing this for a while now. I remember when I yeah. was going through the whole process, you were covering all the games. You were in the lawn chair, the Jake Reeds, the Maverick showcases. I mean, just, just a question. I mean, when, when you're – when you're seeing these guys go through the process, and let's just take a Doc Zakin, a Ryan Conrad, or or a 2000, or, or someone someone in my class, uh, Case Mathias was was a recruit that we always talked about. When you see them graduate and start playing college across, you're just like, wow, that's like my Frankenstein's monster. Like I, I was I was watching them as a freshman. I think that's the fun part. I mean, that's why I kind of spend love to spend so uh, so much time watching watching college ball on Saturdays and Sundays and during the week following all that stuff because 
every game on, you know, we've, we've watched a million times and, and know they kill like the back of our hand. So, um, you know, it's, it's fun. I think it's, uh, going back a while. I mean, this, this class of seniors right now in high school, that was the first class that I, uh, I started watching when I launched recruiting rundown. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely fun. Even though I'm a young guy, it makes me feel old. Um, you know, knowing some of these guys have, have gone through, um, you know, it, it feels like it just goes by in a, in a second, but it's a blast, man. You know, I feel like it's, uh, you know, really pure, so pure at the high school level, um, you know, and, and definitely enjoyable to watch them go through and uh, kind of see if I uh, was in the right ballpark or if I screwed up in the rankings or whatever. It happens all the time. So uh, it's, it's fun to watch for sure. Yeah, I mean, like, so you you definitely know these kids pretty much inside and out. I mean, every once in a while, some kid could surprise you, either be a late bloomer or a bust, someone that kind of slipped through the cracks. But for the most part, like, you're dialed in on pretty much every name that you need to know in high school lacrosse. I mean, the fact that you're able to keep up with all that is insane. Um, like, what what does your daily schedule look like? Like, are you at a lacrosse field pretty much every single day? Like, do what kind of downtime do you ever have so just what is that daily schedule for for you yeah it's funny I mean I think uh you know as as recruiting has gotten more intense um you know the job's gotten more intense club balls uh gotten crazy uh there used to be a time where we'd have some some down moments December or August and that's not really the case I don't really get you know any any slow time um you know there there are events about six seven months out of the year high school ball in the spring where I'm mostly staying in, in Baltimore and DC and Philly, Long Island, um, and then relying on film. But, um, you know, in terms of my daily schedule, I, I'm certainly a night owl, um, you know, insomniac. So I do my best work, uh, you know, between like nine and three during the day, I wake up in the morning, do some emails, watch some film, and then uh, just kind of maintain relationships, talk to club coaches, college guys. Um, you know, I don't talk to the college coaches as much during the spring season. Um, but, but when they're going to high school games and, and watching kids, I try and get a good sense of, of who they like. Uh, I think it's certainly a relationship driven sport. Um, you know, where I, I have a pretty strong Rolodex of guys that I, I reach out to, um, you know, a couple of times a week and, and try and break news and, and try and, um, stay up to date on guys, but it's, it's fun. I mean, I, I wake up every day and I watch lacrosse and do that for a living and I, I can't complain one bit, man. Yeah, I mean, you definitely have the best thing going on right now. Uh, you're going, especially summer. Can't imagine how busy that gets for you. And just, <laughs> you know, you're you're ranking these high school kids, and there's a lot of nut job parents out there. I mean, I'm not trying to name, not trying to name cities, but Long Island parents. I I know you're from Maryland, but Long Island parents got to be the worst uh, through my experience. W- what is the craziest thing a parent has ever done <laughs> to you? I I mean it's 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 tough to say. I think I, I I've uh, received some phenomenal emails, um, you know, and 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 that's that's been fun. I've uh, you know I I got uh, <laughs> I, I've gotten some threats before. I've uh, you know I I haven't received any dog shit on my uh, on my front step yet, um, surprisingly. So that's good. But I don't know, nothing too crazy. I think uh, you know when I'll be to camp and grabbing lunch with some some buddies. Um, I'll just get I fuck for some reason. Like I, like I killed their kid or, or something. Didn't rank them, didn't write them up. Um, but, but nothing too wild. Just, it's gotten the point. I think it's, it's entertaining. Um, I think these parents take this stuff way too seriously. Um, you know, sure. I talked to college coaches, but like, I'm not going to ruin your kid just because I didn't write them up. 
Um, you know, the, those those coaches don't really give a damn, um, you know, about that stuff. It, they're, they're making their own evaluation. So nothing nothing too wild. It's just uh, it's it's fun. It's entertaining. Um, you know, sure, plenty of parents hate me. As you said, Long Island, uh, tons of them. I, I don't, I don't know what I did, but uh, you know, it, it's it's whatever, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, parents are are definitely going to be nut jobs no matter what. But I think you know a lot of things that you know I think have really driven lacrosse parents specifically to be you know another breed of nut jobs is the fact that for so many years we were having kids you know commit to schools that you know the eight before they even played a single game of high school lacrosse. Um, you know, I, I, I've been on the side of, you know, I'm always on the, the kid side. I think, you know, it, it's, it's always an exciting time for a kid when he gets to make that commitment. So, you know, I, I never want to fault a kid for, you know, being a freshman in high school and wanting to, you know, make this cool commitment to go play college across. I always think that it's weird though, for the parents to allow their kids to make that huge decision so early. Uh, so, you know, Obviously, we've seen the NCAA change up a few rules. Uh, teams are no longer allowed to contact players until, you know, that September of their junior year of high school. I'm sure that there are still plenty of ways around that. Um, but, you know, what, what do you think that that'll change, uh, you know, not only in the landscape of recruiting for college lacrosse goes, but do you think that that'll maybe have a change? Do you think that that'll maybe get these parents to calm down a little bit, get these psychopaths? to, you know, kind of take a few steps back uh, and just allow their kids to play lacrosse, you know, for, you know, when they're 14, 15 years old and not force them to make a commitment before they even hit their freshman year. So, you know, what do you think that that new rule is going to do, you know, not only for the landscape of lacrosse, but also for your job as well? Oh, I mean, without a doubt, I think it, it, it takes a lot of pressure off uh, the parents and, and the kids and, uh, you know, all that. I think it, it's, it's a win-win for, for all parties involved. Um, you know, based on the conversations I've had with, um, you know, people in the recruiting landscape, uh, they've, they've said they've, uh, you know, the club guys are feeling less, less emails from uh, less emails and, and texts and calls at all hours of the night from, from parents. They're all calming down. They know that freshman year, sophomore year, even go back to eighth grade, you know, you don't have to worry about uh, being watched by a college coach really. So, um, you know, and, and having conversations and, and visits and, and all that. And, um, you know, I know the, the, the kids, I can't imagine the anxiety and, and pressure and stress that, that came with, um, you know, being a, a kid in the, in the club uh, club world and looking around at your teammates and knowing that, you know, you're, you're blowing your team and committed to Hopkins as a, you know, as a 14-year-old and, and wondering when your time would come. So, um, you know, I, I was so fired up when that happened, you know, about a year ago because it, it just makes – you know, lacrosse better. I mean, it sounds simple and, um, you know, it, it does. I think looking at the colleges, I think that you'll, you'll see a lot of these ACCs and Big Tens uh, not have to be involved with these young kids. They'll have more uh, more of their players panning out, knowing they can take kids uh, junior year and, and not eighth, ninth, tenth grade. So it's a win-win for everybody. It makes my job a little bit easier as well. I'm not having to, um, you know, watch after four or five grades, don't have to sit in the field, you know, feeling shame watching rising ninth graders, uh, you know, and all that like I did for so long. So, uh, you know, everyone's pumped. I know that if you sit next to a college coach when they were watching eighth, ninth graders, they were like, what the hell am I doing? You know, like, the, you know, we're not, they're not going to be my, our team until another well, four or five years. Um, and, and now they can kind of, uh, you know, sit back, relax and, and watch kids uh, heading the junior year. So it's, it's huge. Everyone's real fired up and, um, you know, it, it definitely, you know, helps everything. Dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean that, that's very true. How happy were you when they uh, installed that rule? 
it was it was sick. It was a really cool moment. Um, you know, I, I was relieved because um, it takes some pressure off me and um, you know everybody. But it, it was it was sick when it happened. I think it, it'll be fun going forward to to look at September first uh, this upcoming year. Look at the class of 2020, um, knowing that, yeah, about 100, 150 kids have committed, but a lot of studs haven't, and, and this class is looked at as loaded. So, um, you know, those first few weeks, September and October, the kids make visits and not reporting those commitments, and uh, it'll be fun to kind of have, uh, you know, for the most part, a, a clean slate and, and kids, uh, you know, evaluate a different time. Yeah, I mean, and you're also talking about the non-committed kids. I mean, clearly there are still hotbeds of lacrosse, but – Every single day, we see this sport headed in the right direction. It's spreading everywhere. Some of the best kids are coming from Texas, Utah, California. We, we weren't seeing that in 2010 to, to even when you even started in 2014. I mean, the scene has just been booming. Like, I, how has that, from, a, from your position, played an impact on you? That, that it's not just the Maryland's anymore, the, the New York's, the Massachusetts. It's... It's everywhere in the country. I didn't even forget Jersey as well. Uh, I mean, wait, come hold on. on. Shout out, shout out Philly. <laughs> shout out Philly. We're yeah. also there too as a hotbed. No, I think, uh, you know, it's it's huge. Um, you know, I think so much lacrosse people uh, think that it, it is just confined to the hotbeds. Um, you know, the, the good old boys, a white collar sport um, on the East Coast. It's not the case anymore. I mean, I, I travel all, all over the country and, and make trips to Vegas and San Diego and, and San Fran and, and Dallas and you know, Minneapolis and, you know, down in Florida, um, Nashville, you name it. And the game's booming. I mean, it's, it's fun, um, you know, being in those, those non hotbeds and, and seeing a lacrosse goal in, in the backyards. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's huge for the sport. I think obviously in those warm areas like California and Texas and, and Florida and Georgia, it's nice because for the most part you can play year round. So, um, you know, not to worry about the snow being on the ground. So it's it's huge. These kids are so athletic and, and kind of, you know, taking a liking to lacrosse and, and running with it. And uh, it's been a blast. And I remember, you know, I was a class of 2009 grad. Um, you know, I remember when, when those kids were, were going to blue chip in my year and everyone was talking about the kid from, from L.A. Or, or Utah like it was some big thing. And now it's just um, the, these big-time events are, are, are filled with kids from all over the map. So it's huge. I think it'll be fun as this uh, this club coaching and high school coaching gets even better, uh, we'll see more and more kids pan out from from all over the country. I mean, I know we had a kid like Peter Baum, you know, who was my year and, and killed it out of Oregon, went to Colgate. Um, it, it keeps happening. You know, I think there are kids from all over that are just blowing up in Division One. Um, you know, that, that are from non-traditional areas. So uh, that's fun. I think that for the most part, colleges will still want to prefer to go with that kid from a hotbed. Uh, that's been well coached and played the best competition, but they're not discriminating a kid just because of where he's from. Um, you know, they, they want whoever will help them win. And uh, that's what we're seeing. Yeah. I mean, speaking of one of those kids who's blowing up at the D one level, who's from a non-traditional lacrosse area, you know, we've got a kid like Jack Jasinski at Ohio state. He's an Alabama boy. Uh, Ty, I know that you're a Bama fan uh, as well as myself here. So, you know, speaking of recruiting, talking about a coach who always brings in the top recruits year after year, we got Coach Nick Saban down in Tuscaloosa. Uh, you know, if Nick, you know, if if Alabama goes D one, you know, at the you know at, at the varsity level for 
college lacrosse, and Nick Saban just so happens to decide to coach the team. Do you think that one, he would just rack up the recruiting scene, and two, you know, Coach Saban, one of the best coaches of all time in any sports. Uh, you know, do you do you think that he that translates to the lacrosse field? Uh, do you think that he just has what it takes to win at whatever he does? First off, Jordy, I'm I'm loving this right now that we segued into Bama football. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm still riding high since that championship. Um, I don't think Saban would ever lose. No, um, I think he would kill it. He gets some five stars. Um, maybe get uh maybe get you on the staff. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, I, I would, I would love to see the SEC get, uh, get lacrosse one day, especially my, uh, my Crimson Tide or our Crimson Tide. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I don't think the, the tie would ever go down if they, uh, if you got to recruit to Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I don't know anyone who wouldn't want to go to SEC lacrosse. SEC yeah. lacrosse needs to happen. Do, do you think we see it in the next 10 years? Honestly, maybe not 10, maybe 15 and even the Florida States. It's, it's tough, man. I mean. I, I do think that we'll see it um, in, in our lifetime. I mean, I know that's, uh, you know, I'm not answering the question. I think the, the next 20, 25 years is is certainly the hope. Um, yeah, I, I do think an SEC team would, would go, uh, you know, would, would, would join Division I. Um, I'd love to see some more ACCs get it, as you mentioned, FSU. Um, I'd love to see, you know, Boston College bring it back. Um, I think everyone wants to see more growth out West. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it'd be huge to see, uh, more of these, uh, you know, college sports powerhouses, the Michigan States, the Texases, um, you know, uh, schools like that, Wisconsin, love to see UCLA, just throwing some random schools out there. I mean, everyone wants to see that that growth at the D1 level, um, you know, especially in those, you know, aforementioned, uh, you know, non-traditional hotbeds. Yeah, my dream has always been for Pac-12 lacrosse. There's nothing better than a you know a Saturday in the fall getting that you know that Pac-12 that ten o'clock kickoff uh, where you're just betting straight up overs all night at the bar. Uh, so to have <laughs> chase, chasing all your bets. Yeah, so to have to have Pac-12 lacrosse would be huge, especially because the way that most games are scheduled right now. I mean, I think all games are either you know like. 12 1 or 3 o'clock on Saturday. So give us something late to watch. Let's, uh, let so I think right now, I think this, this is where the movement is starting. We are now pushing for SEC and Pac 12 lacrosse heavily. Uh, you know, I don't know if we need to get petitions started or whatever. Uh, but you know, so speaking of teams that you are a fan of, Ty, uh, so you know, we're gonna go from one team who's a perennial winner, perennial championship every single year. Uh, let's now bring it to the ice. This is a question that we ask all of our guests. Oh uh, no! Is this the Washington <laughs> Capitals' year? Uh, it's it's always the Caps' year. Um, just just now when it comes to the playoffs, you know, I I, uh, I I think no matter what I say, I'm gonna jinx it, and and we'll get the same old uh, result. Um, you know, my my boy Ovi is playing hot right now, but yeah, no no shot. I mean, I, I don't see the Flyers, uh, you know, getting past us. I, I think we uh, we got this in the back. Is your boy Ovi a Russian spy? Can you confirm? I, I, no comment. I'll no comment. That. I would actually, I would love to see Ovi on a lacrosse field. I think that he's a guy who, you know, we preach low to high to the day we die here at the crease dive. Uh, I think that Ovi would just be ripping just bombs from from two point range all day, just stinging corners. That's something that I would actually really enjoy to watch. Even though I hate Ovi because. That oh, yeah. uh, I think that he'd be, uh, you know, you, you give him a lacrosse stick for for you know a couple months, and I think that he's just pinging corners. You definitely mark him down as a five star recruit. 
Oh yeah, I think I, I I don't I don't think that Russian bastard would shoot anything but you know low to high. He would not change those plants. So. Um, actually, we'll that, has, that brings me actually to a, you know, I pat myself on the back here. Pretty good question. What, when you're looking at, you know, these, these, like these top level offensive players in the nation, um, you know, obviously the coaches are always, you know, they want you to shoot overhand. They want you to shoot low and away to pipes. Um, you know, when, when you're watching a kid out there, you know, and you know, the way that the game is changing, it's, it's a lot more, you know, free flowing right now, real creative. Um, you know, I, I think that you can credit Lyle Thompson for, you know, a lot of that, the style of offenses that are being played right now. So when you see a kid who's just launching low to high stingers, or you see a kid going, you know, backhand or whatever, um, you know, what, what is that kind of, does that shift your eye on the player at all when you're evaluating him as a recruit? Is you know is that a positive, a negative, or is it just kind of boiled down to production? No matter which way you get it. Uh, I mean that's a great question. Uh, you know I think it's 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 tough. I mean I, I'm not gonna lie. I think that uh, since the Thompson brothers, uh, we've seen a lot more kids just no matter what just go to the cage and go backhand or, or get real cute. Um, you know even when uh, not appropriate. So definitely see. A, a ton of that. These kids have been spending so much time watching ESPNU and and on YouTube, and uh, you know they they uh, they they try and emulate those guys a whole lot. But um, no, I mean I you know I want to see production. I think any college coach want to see production. Um, you don't want to see you know bad habits like you know hanging your stick or, or going low to high too much um, because they definitely preach um, you know you know fundamentals and and all that going overhand, but. Um, you know, me, I really, I, people don't really get it, you know, and, and, and maybe we'll get into something we're getting into later. But uh, I, when I'm doing the rankings, when I'm doing evaluations, I, I talk to college guys as much as I possibly can because, you know, I never played at a high level. Um, I was not the best lacrosse player in the world. Um, you know, I went to St. Paul's in Baltimore and, and lo- learned my love for the game there. But uh, I'm talking to, to all the college coaches to get opinions on guys and Whatever they say, for the most part, I'm I'm rolling with. So, um, you know, I, I'm not going to rule a kid out because, um, you know, he likes to get fancy. Yeah, no, I mean, you got to kind of love, you got to really, really love that one kid at the Jake Reed camp, just riding his ass off. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, I think uh, <laughs> honestly, riding riding is a thing that uh, you know, I I, <laughs> I wouldn't say it turns me on, but uh, you know, it gets me going, and uh, I love seeing it because I think uh. You know, it, it definitely catches the eyes of college coaches and, uh, you know, as well as uh, my myself. I love watching a good riding attack. And, um, you know, shout out to my boy Mikey Wynn, fellow St. Paul's guy, rides his tail off. Um, you know, Matt Cavanaugh is a big rider. Uh, love the riding game. Yeah, I, I know you can tell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking to two attackmen. And, hey, Jordy, I can't speak for you, but you know what? I see you as a rider. I see you as that kid slapping the bottom hand of a deep pull. That's what that's what Philly High School Lacrosse is all about. Just getting extra public gritty. School, all, baby. All, public. Yeah, public school, uh, staying gritty all over the field. Uh, you know, I'm a you know a high school coach myself, and uh, you know while I do you know tell my kids to just let them fly from wherever, however you want to get it off, I always tell them to keep that shit in their strong hand. Uh, but we also do preach riding for sure. So I think that's something that we can all agree on. And uh, and yeah, you, you you just mentioned that you're coaching high school. I mean, you're coaching at Springfield. Field, uh, high school and uh, PA. Uh, Ty, do you have anyone uh, on his team that's uh, maybe possibly sneaking up on your list that you could think of? Oh, yeah. No, I know Jordy knows. Uh, you know, his, his boy Kyle Long, uh, future Terp, 
just a, a nasty player, unreal feeder uh, out of Springfield. Kid, kid is 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 excellent. I have him ranked number number fifteen in my uh, recruiting rundown class of twenty eighteen rankings. He's a five star kid. Kid's an animal. Um, great athlete. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll make sure that he uh, if if he gets a little too uh, too ahead of himself for getting shouted out in the podcast, I'll make sure that he has some extra sprints coming up this week. <laughs> make sure make sure he's still riding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, yeah, so that should wrap this up. Hey, Ty, we can't thank you enough for coming on this week. Uh, You know, obviously it's a huge time of the year for you with high school lacrosse starting up all over the country. I know that you're at plenty of games pretty much every single week. Uh, So real busy time of the year for you. Uh, Again, just really appreciate you taking some time out of that busy schedule to talk to us. Appreciate it, Ty. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm a big fan. You know, follow whatever, everything you guys do and, uh, you know, keep it up. And uh, thanks again. Yeah, and uh, same goes to you. And make sure that everyone checks out uh, Recruiting Rundown. Uh, it's recruitingrundown.com. You can check them out on Twitter at Recruit Rundown. Uh, everything you need to know about all the top recruits all over, you know, not even just the U.S., but also the Canadians as well. So, uh, Ty's got you covered on all fronts there. A lot of big things in the work for him. So make sure you check that out. And uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on. We'll talk to you, bud. Thanks, boys. All right. And thank you again to Greg and Ty for hopping on the podcast. I mean, those are two of probably the best minds that the lacrosse world has to offer. So great to have those guys on. Really looking forward to having them on uh, You know, as the season goes on as well. Uh, but, you know, we can look forward to the rest of the season all we want to, but right now all of our minds are set on this weekend. We follow up probably the best weekend of college across last weekend, and we have another huge slate of games coming up this weekend. There is no letdown at all in this schedule, and it's headlined by, again, the number one team in the nation, and this is a matchup that we at the Crease Dive have been praying for ever since we saw it on the schedule. An undefeated Ian McKay and the Vermont Catamounts traveling to Albany to take on an undefeated Dehoga Nanakoke and the Albany Great Danes. Two recurring guests of the podcast going at it head-to-head. One team has to come away with this with their first loss on the year. Is it going to be the Catamounts or the Great Danes? Rabio, what do we have going on for this game, and what should everybody be looking forward to? Everybody should be looking for two undefeated teams in the same conference, the American East, going head-to-head. I don't care who you are. We talked about it last weekend. Number one in the country versus number one in the two. You have two undefeated teams mid-season. Two high-scoring teams that are a fuck that are a blast to watch. So I mean, it's gonna come down to, and we talk about it. This is college lacrosse. Like these are college kids. It, it's an any given Sunday kind of mentality. So nothing really surprises me anymore in the in the game of college lacrosse. This is gonna be a, a blast to watch. And this is a game, like you said, that you and I have had our eyes on. This is a dream come true for the Cree stuff. Dude, I mean, I think that this has to be the biggest game in America East lacrosse history. I mean, the fact that Albany is the number one team in the nation in every poll right now, and they've got 
an undefeated Vermont team coming in. I mean, this is the best start of the season that Vermont has ever had. So the fact that America East has two of the premier programs in the country getting after it this weekend on St. Patty's Day, no less. I mean, everyone is going to be tying a load on for St. Patrick's Day. And to, to make the day even better, we get two undefeated squads going after it. Uh, you know, again, we, yeah, I we, mean, I, I wish, we, I wish we had boots on the ground there. That atmosphere is going to be absolutely electric. Yeah. We're going to have to make it up to Albany for one of these games, but you know, we've, we've talked to Ian McKay before about that Catamount offense. I mean, they've got all those Canadians up there. They're so fun to watch. So creative. And then on the other end of the field, you want to talk about creativity. Well, the Albany great Danes basically invented creativity with the Hoga, with Connor fields, with, you know, Kyle McClancy, who's probably the most, you know, fundamentally sound out of all the guys there. And even he plays the game like a wild man. So if you're a fan of offense, which you should be, this is going to be an incredible game to watch. Uh, we say this kind of every week about almost every game. It's going to come down to that face-off X. I don't think TD Ireland necessarily had his greatest game against Maryland last weekend. He turned it on for that second half, credit to him. Uh, but, you know, that that Fogo for Maryland was, was able to give him some fits. I don't really know too much about Vermont's face-off game. But, you know, it's probably going to take Ireland getting, you know, pretty damn close to 75% if, you know, Albany's going to, you know, feel comfortable about this game. Because the more you give Ian McKay the ball, uh, you know, the higher your chances are of being on upset alert. So it's definitely going to be a good one to watch. Speaking of upset alert, we've got Maryland, the defending champ, Terps, coming off that loss against Albany. It's only a one-goal loss. That's their first loss of the season. They're going to Villanova, mainline, Philadelphia area, um, taking on the 6-1 and one Wildcats. This is a game that went into overtime last season. And if you know anything about Nova in overtime this season – it's that the Cardiac Cats come away with the wins, and they did it last year against the Terps. What do we think? Are we going to see another upset potentially with Villanova versus Maryland this year? What do you got on this, Robbie? I mean, it's the year of the dog. And I mean, Philly has had it their way in the year of 2018. We saw it Penn upsetting number one in the nation, Duke. We saw it in the Super Bowl with your Eagles beating the Patriots. It's, it is that kind of year. And, dude, this is a very, very talented Villanova lacrosse team across the board, led by uh, attackman Christian Cuccinello with his sidekick Danny Siebel, the dude who spiked it on the Dallas uh, Stars when they upset Yale. So this is a team that everyone's had on their radar, but now they're finally here having a huge, huge year. Maryland, I know I know they're coming off of a loss, but they're one of the most sound teams in the country. Connor Kelly, it was uh, 43 and 13 last year, primarily a goal scorer, has already surpassed his assists at 15 goals, 18 assists. He's making kids around him better. Jared Bernhard, the sophomore, then the freshman phenom, Logan Wisnowski, is having an absolute year. So this is, it's going to come down to faceoffs. It's going to come down to defense. It's going to come down to wing play. It's going to come down to. Uh, 
the, the ground balls, like the little things that the coaches harp on, the cliche things in the huddle. This is going to be a, a an excellent game to watch. Uh, a Big Ten matchup, a rivalry, two teams that have each other circled and just don't like each other. Yeah, uh, so I mean, like you get you give the rundown of Maryland's offense. You know, you got Connor Kelly obviously leading the way. Jared Bernhardt, you mentioned Wisnowskis. Tim Rotan, another a freshman, Bubba Fairman coming in, the number two recruited freshman in the nation. Uh, so there's so much firepower there for Maryland's offense, uh, you know, and considering that, you know, Nova has been having to go with their backup goalie for, you know, the start of this season, it's going to be a tough order for him. On the other end of the field, you got Dan Morris in the cage for the Terps, uh, you know, a kid who's been there plenty of times before, looked great against Albany up until, you know, Connor Fields decided to really take over that game in the fourth quarter. Uh, so, you know, like we said, you know, Justin Shockey, uh, Maryland's Fogo for, you know, who gave TD Ireland fits last weekend. You know, he's going to have another uh, big game for him set up here. It's going to be, like you said, a great game to watch. Uh, it's definitely going to be one that, you know, it's, it's, I don't, I wouldn't feel comfortable heading into Villanova if I'm Maryland right now, but I'd also feel hungry for a win after suffering their first loss of the year. Uh, we've got even more teams coming up here with only one loss on the season. Uh, but unfortunately for Virginia, their, their biggest loss of the season isn't even on their, uh, on their record. But so Virginia comes in and it is going to be a Ryan Conrad list, Virginia Cavaliers team. They're going to be taking on Notre Dame at Notre Dame. Uh, so Notre Dame, the Irish coming off that big win against Denver, like we we mentioned this last week, Virginia finally looked like they were turning things around. I know that they had that tough loss to Syracuse, but it looked like this was a team who was ready to get themselves back to where we're used to seeing Virginia at in the college lacrosse landscape. And then they lose their leader, Ryan Conrad, with a lower body injury. It's it's gonna be tough. For Virginia to stick with these with these other elite teams in the nation without a guy who's playing, you know, a game sixty minutes long. I feel like I see Ryan Conrad on the field for eighty minutes. Like the kid does not from the time that he gets off the bus and to the time that he gets back on the bus for, to to leave a game. You know, so all throughout warmups and shit like that. I don't think he leaves the field once. Maybe he takes like one piss break before the game starts, but. Going in there without Ryan Conrad, it's going to be a tall order for Virginia. Luckily, they still have other guys around like Doc Aiken, Matt Moore, uh, D'Ambrosio. So they, they've got the guys that can kind of pick up the slack a little bit. But without a two-way midi like Conrad, it's going to be tough to go up against Notre Dame. So what do you got on this, Robbie? Yeah, I mean, we, we were saying it. I mean, Virginia was off to a huge start. Terrible blow. I mean, you hate to see any kid go down with a season-ending injury. But, I mean, when it's when it's one of your leaders and kind of the glue that has held this Cavaliers team together, they've almost been a resurrected team by Lars Tiffany that I've been saying. You know, that, that's a huge blow to the team. I mean, he was not only an offensive presence who was drawing slides and creating matchup mismatches. Um, but he was he was on the faceoff wings. He was grinding on ground balls. He would play short stick defense. You're, you'd be a one man clear. So losing him is huge. We talked about you know Virginia. We talked about ACC play. This is another conference play. This can be played on ESPNU under the lights in South Bend. So the, I mean, this is no easy test, especially for a team that is 
primarily offensively sophomores and freshmen. So, you know, if I'm Notre Dame, I'm they're hot right now, and they are clicking on all cylinders from the goalies uh, to the attack. They are playing lights out, great Notre Dame ball. Uh, but this is a, a Virginia Cavalier team that's obviously banged up, but you cannot take lightly uh, when you are home hosting them. Yeah, and again, uh, you know, we we mentioned this right before the Syracuse game, but Virginia, they're looking for that first ACC oh, yeah. win since I believe the 2014 season. Uh, so it's, it's been a while since they've got a conference win. It'd be huge for them to finally get that monkey off their back. I know that it'd be huge for Lars Tiffany to finally get in there, get his first win as an ACC coach. So listen, I'm, I'm, I got to pull for Virginia in this one. I mean, I, I love the way that Notre Dame plays, um, you know, and, and, and we'll see, you know, at, we haven't seen Ryder Garnsey really put to have a full 60 minute game yet. He, he's, you know, kind of been on the sideline for a little bit. I, I don't know if he's hampered with injury or anything like that. Uh, but, you know, I, I think if, if Ryder Garnsey finds himself on the sideline for a while during this game, maybe Virginia pulls out this win. Uh, but, you know, if a kid like Garnsey's out there just ripping titties left and right, then, you know, Virginia might have to wait another week or so. Yeah. I kind of don't want, I kind of need Dom Starja to make his way out like a WWE appearance in Ryan Conrad's 22 jersey and take the wing. That would be an absolute throwback for sure. Moving. Dom Starja in the Undertaker gif. Uh, And then finally, the last big game that we're going to be previewing here. So we've got Virginia Notre Dame as ACC rivalry matchup. We got Vermont Albany as an America East rivalry matchup. Big one coming up here in the Ivy. It is the four and one Yale Bulldogs making their way to Cornell. Ever heard of it to play against the three and two big red. Uh, Listen, we we say this pretty much every episode, and again, like I, I I'm sorry to all you defensive minded people out there. I'm sorry to all you goalies out there, but they say that sex sells, and nothing is sexier than elite level offensive talent. And we're gonna see it in droves in this game because we've got Ben Reeves going up against Jeff Teat, two of the premier attackmen in the nation. Uh, both guys right now, I think, are sitting at about 28 points. So uh, I think Teat already has 100 points on his career. He's just a sophomore. He's been lighting it up for Cornell. Ben Reeves, obviously, he's a he's a, one of the he's going to be a finalist for the Tewarton at the end of the year. So this is kind of a you know Ben Reeves. This is his final year at Yale. This is his last go at it. Uh, and you know we're we're seeing kids like Jeff T and Michael Sowers. They're ready to take over this conference for the Ivy as the two best attackmen in there. So this is going to be a good chance for T to show everybody what he's all about going up against one of the best that the Ivy's ever seen. Robbie O, what do we got on this big nerd matchup between Yale and Cornell? And dude, Jordy, we've had the old bull, and now it is time for the young pup. Jeff Teat and the Cornell Big Red will be hosting the Yale Bulldogs. And this is a Cornell team, a 3-2 and two Cornell team that might not look the best on paper record-wise, but their losses are 
pretty, pretty well respected. Uh, a close by Colgate team, first game of the season. So you know they're going to have those uh, first game jitters. And then an Albany team. They only lost by two goals. And obviously we don't need to say any more about Albany. So this is going to be a real great game to watch. You're playing in upstate New York. So the weather is might even neutralize this game. We always talk about upset alerts. Dude. Like watch out for the big red this weekend. Yeah, I mean, so last weekend, the Connor Fields versus Connor Kelly matchup did not disappoint. And I think that we're going to get an equally epic matchup here between Reeves and Teat. And that is going to wrap it up for our weekend preview. So now it is time for some line drills, and we are going to be setting some picks. And for this week, we're going to stick with uh, you know what we did last week. We're not going to make any picks against the spreads right now, uh, mostly because at the time that we're recording th- this podcast, uh, the lines aren't exactly set. Uh, but last week, I mean, the both of us uh, were, were pretty money on picking just some outright winners. Uh, I know myself, I went 4-1 and one on the weekend. Robbie O, a huge bounce back for you after, I mean, I think you only had maybe one win combined in like the last three weeks, uh, but you go three and two last last week on just some outright winners. So uh, congrats on getting yourself back on the winning train. Hey man, thank you very much. Uh, it, it feels real good. It feels real good to be back on the train. Uh, the fade Robbie O is definitely still in existence. Um, yesterday, Arizona just got knocked out. So my bracket is completely busted in all my brackets but uh not only did i pick them i bought a pack 12 2018 arizona wildcats long sleeve t-shirt because i am a sociopath and thought it would be good karma but they are out so fade robbio train is back on uh but you know what my picks are hot this week hot jordy i i am very confident in them what, what are we starting off with yeah, I mean, let's just get right into it then. Let's see if Rabio can keep making everybody rich. Uh, you know, either fade him or follow him. I guess this will be a huge. Uh, it's going to be a huge weekend for you. Going to be a huge weekend for everybody. And we're going to start off with probably my favorite game on the schedule. Again, a battle between a couple of recurring guests on the podcast. The undefeated Vermont Catamounts going to the undefeated Albany Great Danes. Uh, I'm. You know, like I said, I've I've mentioned this on pretty much every episode so far. Um, the conductor of the Dane train, as much as I appreciate Ian McKay and the boy and the boys, you know, giving us some love here at the crease dive. I gotta keep rolling with the number one team in the nation. I've got Albany coming out as one of the only remaining undefeated teams yeah. in the nation after this weekend. Robbie O, who do you got? Yeah, I mean Albany is the real deal. Like you said, they're, they're number one for a reason. Uh, obviously, shout out to reoccurring guest Ian McKay and dude, reoccurring guest DeHoga. I mean, there's two going at it. I'm sure they're going to be talking about us after the game. Um, but Albany is number one for a reason. We, we saw it against Maryland. Not only do they have those two studs, but they have weapons around them. Uh, this is a fully sound team from defense to the offense. I, I got Albany winning this one, but this this is going to be a, a very close game, a lot uh, closer than a lot of people think. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it be, you know, just a one or two goal game. Uh, but, you know, Albany's definitely a little bit more battle tested for that. Uh, moving on to another game. This is one that was a, a huge shocker last season uh, with the Wildcats getting the overtime win over the Terps. So we got a little rematch here in this game. We got Maryland at five and one going coming here to Philly, the main line playing against the six and one Villanova Wildcats. 
Uh, listen, man, I, obviously in the month of March, it's, it's a great month for the, you know, Villanova in general, right. uh, you know, in, in the NCAA basketball tournament. So Robbie, what do you got on this one? Can Villanova do it again and upset the Terps or is Maryland coming out and just being fired up after that loss to Albany and looking to take it out on someone? And unfortunately, Nova's just in their way. Um, big fan of history repeats itself. Uh, big fan of the whole, I mean, you've been preaching it. I mean, you're, you're a team, <laughs> you're a team Philly, obviously. And it's the year of the dog. I got, I got Villanova, uh, upsetting Maryland, uh, like they did last year. I think dude, Vill- Villanova is the real deal. They're no joke. This is going to be a, a, a real good game. Maryland is very, very young. If you look at these teams, they're polar opposites. Uh, when you come to the roster, uh, and, 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 the class that these kids are in, um, you know, individual in the cross. I think it also comes down to a lot of senior leadership. And I think the Wildcats have that, especially playing at home, hosting the Terps. Uh, I got the Wildcats here yourself. Uh, Robbie, I love that pick so much. Uh, Let's go. You know, it's definitely, it's, it's a game that I wish that I can make it out to, uh, you know, I'll be stuck coaching all day Saturday. I would love nothing more to see Villanova get another upset win over the reigning champs. Uh, and just keep this month of March rolling for the Wildcats, for Wildcat Nation. With that being said, I cannot make picks with my heart. I need to make the picks with my wallet and my brain. And those two factors right now are telling me, Maryland, Maryland doesn't lose two weekends in a row. It just doesn't happen. They're not going to lose to Albany after you know giving up a, a lead there in the fourth quarter, they're not going to come out here and lose uh, on a second Saturday in a row. They're the, they're the defending champs. I don't care how young they are. They're, I mean, they're the epitome of excellence in college across. They, I just got to roll with the Terps on this one. So Wildcats, they'll bounce back, and uh, you know I'm, I'm sure that they're going to have a great weekend making their way you know to the Sweet 16, but. It's it's not going to happen on the lacrosse field for him this weekend. Uh, now we make him picks with the wallet. <laughs> Got to make him with the wallet. Even leave leave the heart out of the equation. Uh, let's uh, take a trip to the ACC now. We got Virginia still hungry, still starving for their first ACC win since 2014. They've got Notre Dame standing in their way of that. Even without right, it's it's got to happen at some point, right? It has to happen. Like we, yeah, we can't, it has the, to. the world can't end before 2014. That's the world. The world can't end before Virginia finally gets another ACC win. So it's got to happen eventually. Uh, this one, I, I mean, I might be going back on my own word here. This one might be a heart pick, but I feel like Virginia, after being so close to getting that win against Syracuse the other weekend. They need this more than anybody right now. I think Lars Tiffany gets it done, and I, I see Virginia coming away on top of this one. Robbie O, who do you got? Yeah, I, I cannot be more against you, actually, on this pick. I, I got Notre Dame here. Uh, I got the Cavaliers traveling into South Bend and just coming out with a loss. I mean, I, I don't think this is the week that they're going to pick up the ACC win, not, not against this Notre Dame team. and, and just they're, they're, they're firing on all cylinders. I, I got Notre Dame out right here for sure. Yeah, it's – I just – god damn it, I feel so bad for Virginia because they try and they try and they try. Um, but, yeah, I guess we'll see. I mean, Notre Dame, we, we saw it against Denver last weekend. Uh, I mean, they, they're, they've they got kids who can shoot the shit out of the ball, and they've got a defense who will 
just make you want to give up lacrosse for the rest of your life. So it's it's going to be a tall order for Virginia. Yeah, and I mean, and, and we say it all the time, though. It, it's 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 ACC conference play, so obviously anything could happen. We we've seen it year after year, so this is definitely one that everyone should have uh, on their to watch list. Yeah, and then another conference game coming up. Couple of rivals here. We've got the Yale couple nerds. Bulldogs. Couple of nerds here. The Yale Bulldogs, four and one, taking the trip to Cornell, three and two. Uh, Rabio, what's, uh, you know, what, what do you got here? Are you Ben Reeves or are you Jeff Teat? I'm riding with Jeff Teat here. Jeff Teat and the big red. I got, uh, yeah, dude, I got Cornell taking out Yale. I think this is like another one. Like, like you said, this is Ivy league play two teams that obviously despite each other, um, you're, you're playing in upstate New York. The conditions are probably going to be a little brutal, probably even it out a little bit. But despite Cornell's record, dude, they, they are a they are a fantastic team and will definitely be in the running for uh, Ivy League championship. So uh, do not sleep on the Big Red at all. I, I got I got Cornell here, dude. I got a little upset. Upset. Yeah, uh, well, so I'm going to call my shot here real quick. I think uh, you know I'm I'm with you right there, riding Jeff T. I think that he's going to have a monster day. Uh, you know, especially a home game for him. So I think that Jeff, between Teat and Reeves, I think that Jeff Teat comes away with more points in this one. I mean, I could see him having another 10-point performance. Uh, so he, he'll outscore Ben Reeves, but I just don't know enough to – I don't know if Cornell has enough to beat Yale outside of Teat out playing Reeves. Um, you know, I, th- I think that Yale is just a little bit more of a complete team here. I think that they'll come away with a win. But again, like, you know, pretty much all of these games right now, they, they could all be decided by one goal. So I don't think that Yale runs away with this one at all. I mean, I think that they could very easily end up, you know, going down pretty early in this one. Uh, but I think that they're just a little bit more experienced. And once that fourth quarter rolls around, you know, that's when we'll see Yale kind of take over this game. Uh, and that'll bring us to our underdogs of the week. Uh, we still. We started this one off last week. Uh, you know, just picking, uh, you know, picking a dog here to to knock someone out of the top twenty, or at least pull off an upset. Uh, I mean, dude, it's it's you know, it's the first weekend of March Madness. There are upsets everywhere. Uh, you know, you mentioned your your Arizona Wildcats going down to Buffalo. So I mean, it's 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 a big weekend for upsets in all of sports. Uh, Rabio, how about you give us your dog of the week? Who is on upset alert this week? Jersey Bull, but dude, I've been literally on this fiddly train since uh, you and I started co-hosting this podcast. Um, I'm taking Drexel. Got that blue collar Philly grit taking down the undefeated uh, Georgetown Hoyas. Uh, I mean, dude, Georgetown is six and zero. Very impressive. I, I don't. Yeah, they haven't had the hardest schedule, but it's Division One lacrosse, and you're six and zero. So kudos to them. But I got them coming into the home of the Dragons and coming out with the loss. I mean, this is a two and four Drexel team. They they've definitely seen better years. But uh, I got a little upset going on here. Yeah. Who who do you got? Who do you got? Co- who do you got coming in making a little bit of a ruckus? Yeah, I mean anyone uh, anyone who watches Game of Thrones knows how hard it is to take down a dragon. So the Hoyas might gonna have to find that one out the hard way. Uh, as for me, um, you know, we, we respect the troops here oh, yeah. at the crease dive, uh, you know, big fan of, you know, all of our armed forces, 
Uh, and that's why I got to roll with uh, Navy taking down the Loyola Greyhounds. Kind of, uh, kind of ironic there that my underdog is going to be taking down some Greyhounds. Uh, but I've, I've got the, you know, I've got the Naval Academy handing Loyola another loss. You know, they're they're coming off a tough one against Duke, but I, I think that it's going to get even tougher here against the midshipmen. Yeah, I, I really like that pick. I mean, ever since their loss to uh, Jacksonville week one, that kind of just a little, a little bit broke the internet a tad. I mean, no, no one saw that coming at all. But yeah, I really like that dog pick, and I also like uh, like Maisie in the background uh, barking away. Yeah, she's. Uh, I think she's about to to shit on my floor. So that means that we're probably <laughs> going to have to wrap this one up. That's going to do it for episode eight of the Crease Dot. And thank you one last time to Greg Gorenlian and Ty Zanders for hopping on the podcast. I mean, those are two of the better minds in the lacrosse world. Those guys are both experts at their craft. They know everything that they need to know about what they do. Uh, so it's always great to have people like that on the podcast. Uh, and, you know, thanks again to everybody for listening. And make sure to follow us on all of our social channels. We are on Twitter and Instagram at The Crease Dive. You're going to want to follow us there. Uh, you know, like we mentioned before, I'll be at the Ohio Machine Open Tryouts this weekend. So, you know, I'll be ripping off some content on Twitter and maybe some Instagram stories there. Uh, and then also, who knows, you know, maybe we'll have to start setting our own lines in the future. So you could probably catch those on our Twitter feed. So check us out on Twitter at The Crease Dive. Make sure you follow guys like uh, Greg Gorenlian and Ty Zanders on all their social channels. Uh, you know, and, and thanks again to, to everybody for listening. Uh, you guys fucking kill it every single week. Uh, and that's that's going to wrap it up for us. So let's go out there and have ourselves a weekend. And remember, low to high to the day we die. <laughs>